Hello, welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education. I'm delighted to be joined by Serafina Simmons-Barr. Hello. Hello, thank you for having me. So we're doing a few podcasts about the articles which people have written in Primary First, which is our professional journal. And it's great to be able to read them as a member because we have hard copies that go out to all of our members. But we thought it'd be really interesting to sort of hear and, and see if you're watching on YouTube, sort of the voice behind these articles to, to get it in your own words, in your own language, and just to expand on it a little bit more. So, so why don't we start first of all about where you're you are in education what's your background how do you work so i'm a primary school teacher primarily i trained at greenwich a few years ago i did the ba with qts and i taught reception year five year six for a bit and i'm currently a supply teacher long-term supply working in reception but alongside that i do some teaching with greenwich on their teacher training courses and I'm also studying for a master's in children's literature. So that's kind of where my article came from, my interests in my practice and also what I'm doing academically. Fantastic. And how did you um, come to write the article for Primary First and be involved in NAEP in that way? So Robert Morgan, who is the editor of the journal, is one of my lecturers and now a colleague. And we've had lots of discussions about representation in education and in literature, because it was something I did for my final year research project. So last year when kind of the Black Lives Matter movement and conversations about critical race theory came into the mainstream in response to some really tragic events that happened last summer, he approached me and said, would you like to write an article? And so this is what came out of it. Fantastic. And um, and the... Um issue 29 which is which is the issue that you, you wrote the article for had this theme generally running through it so it's really interesting to hear some of these podcasts as they run through the next few weeks just sort of talking about this in different aspects and different perspectives which um, which I think is absolutely fascinating and and great job for Robert because he's really been able to edit this this particular issue as as all the issues having only taken over relatively recently and, and really sort of galvanized them into into a really fantastic read. So the article was called Exploring the Limits of Representative Literature in the Primary Classroom. So, so why don't we start there? Why that title? And then just expand as you go on. So originally I had written about a specific text because that's something I do as part of my research, looking at texts that are popular in schools or maybe used in schools and critiquing them from a critical stance, mostly underpinned by race and critical race theory um, but then we thought for this journal it might be better to write something a bit more general so I thought about exploring the limits of representative literature in the classroom because schools are looking to have more representative literature again I think arising from what was happening last summer but just having those books in the classroom doesn't necessarily mean that meaningful conversations will arise or meaningful learning will come from it. Because having a critical understanding of racialized issues is something that is very difficult. And it would be great if we can get children to begin to work towards that, but there are limits in the children's experiences sometimes, and also the adults. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges being able to see those different perspectives 
those of those marginalized people and explore that in a way that children understand I was just going to say, I think one of the things that um, is, is starting to come up on a, on a regular basis as I chat to more and more people on the podcast is the fact that it's not a kind of a, a one solution idea. It's, it's, it's a conversation. It's part of the environment. It's a part of the ethos. It's part of everything being embedded is, is how we want education to be, isn't it? And, and, and so like you said, it's not just a question of doing this and then that changes. It's much more complex than that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's great that people maybe took Black History Month, for example, in October as a starting point. But there is a concern that this kind of learning will fall by the wayside and no one intentionally means to reinforce these kind of racist ideologies that underpin society. But it's so embedded, we have to be purposeful in undoing it and like you say that means we need to embed these conversations and representation in everything we do so it's not just looking at literature but I think children's literature is a good place to start because it's often a linchpin of learning that happens in school a theme or a topic will be based around a book and then you can look at science but when we look at science we need to think about okay have we just got one type of person represented here we need to do our research and make sure we've got different experiences different people different perspectives all represented on a level playing field so not othered they just are yeah yeah no that makes perfect sense and I think and I also like the the concept of of the fact that it has to be just broad throughout everything that we do I mean my, my background is in music and um and I always slightly I'm I'm encouraged when people have an arts week but it means that it's one week a year as opposed to the arts and music being just part of what you do as a school and, and I think that's the same for anything where you're just looking at it as a one-off thing it has to be just like we said, embedded into everything that you do in order for it to take on a sense of this is just what we are and what we do and what we talk about and, and how we want our lives to be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think music's an interesting one. So if you have music for just a week, that doesn't actually give you a lot of scope to explore music in a diverse way. However, if we do it throughout the year, like you say, it means we can explore maybe the principles of music as the practice but also introduce more genres more people yeah and I think when you talk of it like that it then becomes very obvious doesn't it because you can see where those dialogues are going to go and how that experience is going to going to change so what is critical race theory that was something which you had as part of your subtitle as you were writing the article just explain a little bit more about that and how you describe that in the article so critical race theory emerged in America in the 1980s and it was originally rooted in the legal system. So it was a group of activists and theorists really who recognised that the legal system says that it's unbiased and it's fair, but because the racist ideologies are so embedded in society, to the point that people aren't even conscious of it, there is no way that the legal system actually can be unbiased and fair. And that's reflected in the disproportionate numbers of people of colour who are incarcerated. 
so even though this came about over 30 years ago, it's still an issue. And CRT is something that is constantly evolving and constantly being applied. Now beyond the legal system, people looking at applying it to education and in some spaces, children's literature, but it's, it's more of a process. So it's looking at challenging those ideologies that lead to oppression and challenge them, challenging them in such a way that leads to action. So changing policies so that racism has less of an impact. And I'm, I'm really interested in, in this whole kind of idea about people not knowing that these things are embedded, because, of course, it's really hard to change anything when people just aren't aware, are they? So how, how do you think that might change? And I know these things take a long time, but it seems to me that once people are aware of something, then you've got something that can help sort of move something faster, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the harder thing. Um, CRT actually really advocates counter storytelling, which is having people who belong to racially marginalized groups share their stories and be more visible because people aren't aware as a result of the ideologies being embedded. So that embedded ideology means that whiteness is the norm and anything else is surprising or even not believable because it's the norm. So people aren't deliberately malicious. I think like say people are just unaware of certain privileges they might have. And that isn't exclusive to white people. I'm talking about whiteness as a structure and there are certain things that are attached to whiteness and each one of us will benefit from a certain level of privilege and I think we need to keep taking on different perspectives and have a willingness to hear them and it will take a long time I mentioned CRT started over 30 years ago but CRT isn't the first and is not the only movement that's working for equity so I don't want to say real change won't happen soon but I do think it is going to be a long process and it seems like maybe last year was pivotal it seems like people really did acknowledge and really acknowledge that there is an issue here one of my concerns though is that in the UK there's still a tendency to say this is an America issue and perhaps things are more overt and more openly discussed in America, but it isn't exclusive to America. And I think here we need to be a bit more honest with ourselves and say, okay, how are our policies? How are our systems predicating continual oppression? What do we need to do that's specific to our context? to make things better yeah and you can really see how that takes time can't you because one of the problems that um we've discussed before on the podcast is the fact that so much of change and so much of policy and direction in what we do well in anything but certainly in education is based on 
what is going to work now, but what is going to help me get voted into the next government for the next election, which is these, you know, it's all very short term. So the whole sort of long term thing isn't something which is um, entrenched in, in our in our culture or, or in our politics. And, and so it, it does seem that having, I think, you know, real advocates and people speaking on a global and a national level, which who are out of politics, that can then kind of change how that works. It is sort of a, a sort of a two-handed argument, I think. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. And I think there's also something quite individualistic about our society, and that's part of the problem. And that's reflected through our political structure. Like you say, it's, I have this agenda, this is what I want to achieve. How will I achieve it? And then on to the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. So you talked about representation in children's literature. Is that kind of in terms of this is something which we want to investigate and describe, and this is a piece of literature we want to explore and should be part of everybody's understanding? Or are we also talking about the sort of the reading schemes in the fabric of what every child would call books because that's what they have to do as they start school and start to learn to read and read through is it both of those things is it anything in specific I think it's both of those things um CLPE have done a lot of research into representation and they look at the number of well they use the term BAME which is a disputed term but I'll use it in this context so they look at the numbers of BAME characters in literature and then they also look at the number of those characters who are main characters. And they also think about how many of those representations are stereotypical or harmful. And their findings, even though there seem to be some improvements, they show that there's a real deficit in terms of representation. So in book corners, children might have options, but representative literature will still be marginalized. So I think it's important that we almost put more emphasis on good representations, which aren't necessarily stereotypical, almost to guide the children and help them understand why this is a positive representation. And that absolutely doesn't mean we shouldn't look at books that are potentially harmful because it could be argued that every piece of literature which is produced in the society we live in, which is underpinned by certain ideologies, which we all carry either consciously or unconsciously, but it's, it's hard, especially with younger children, to really explore those things. And it's something that will take time as the children get older. So I think we need to do that, but we also need to make sure we've got those really positive representations those representations that celebrate everybody and that might sound to some like we're asking for books featuring white characters to be marginalized but actually we're asking for equity we want equal footing and I think for me as well it's the fact that I truly believe that when everybody is born 
they're born with a reason they're born with a purpose and their life is there to evolve and i think this is where early years foundation stage primary is so important you know we can just have these conversations which just enable everything to grow in the most natural organic way because there's less of those ideologies there well there aren't any to begin with and so it's really important that our awareness and our understanding of that that's where you know, and, and this is, I guess, where the timescale comes in is the fact that a child going into the education system now, it's another you know, best part of 20 years before they're then in a position to have a voice which is going to be changing something, whether it's in the political system or or, 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 an, or anything else. So it, it, all those things, I guess, start to become clearer because you can see what that process looks like in terms of what we can actually set up as a positive idea in terms of education and how we go about it to where that starts to really filter through into society at large. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of space to develop this practice because it isn't, it isn't standard and people don't know how to do it. And it's something I want to look at in my future research, but I think it needs to be broader. And I think really that does need to come from those who make policy. It's, not written into policy that representative literature isn't important but there's hardly any mention of it and that sends a message and it reinforces the underrepresentation. and ultimately teachers are under so much pressure to meet statutory requirements so with all the goodwill in the world when it comes down to it looking at representation won't be a priority yeah, that makes perfect sense. And and that's and that's why these conversations really inspire me because someone like yourself talking about this is where I want to reduce the research to find out and so that then people listening in the future or or how you know how your research comes to to fruition it's that kind of ah oh, now i can see and understand and know and can develop what i want to do based on research based on someone who's so passionate about it and the ability to be able to say and this is these are the steps that you can do and i think that juggling at the moment between like you say what you have to do is terms of policy and how schools are run and and all of that and I don't want to get into the testing and all that sort of thing as well, but, but, <laughs> but, 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 but kind of how that is for schools, you know, that's day to day. This is how it's got to run. Um, but with that kind of sense, but we're going to do it in our own way, despite all of that. And it is that juggling between the two. And I think, like I said, these conversations, having someone who's done the research, who has the passion, who can then show you those steps of how you can integrate, I guess is really the best word in terms of those things. If we're not going to have a change of policy anytime soon, then that integration is, is the way that's going to change things from more people, I guess, even though it's not going to be everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so well put. And I think one way of integrating it is looking at the curriculum and saying, okay, so what skills are we meant to be teaching? And there's no reason to not use a book that offers alternative representation to teach those same skills, especially at primary, because we don't really have a prescriptive list of books that should be taught. It gets a bit stickier when you move into secondary, especially GCSE and A-level. Um, <laughs> but in primary, we do have a bit more freedom. So maybe it's about giving teachers some kind of framework, maybe for approaches, but also for choosing the right kind of literature and how to use each piece of literature. 
yeah and i love that and, and then you can just see how how it expands from there and, and yeah like i said that's that's what inspires me because you can then see how how easily that could change with the right information and the right opportunity for people to, to have yeah. this information so one of the other things you spoke about in the article is the noble savage and the white savior can you talk a little bit about that for us so those are two quite common tropes not necessarily in children's literature which is being produced now because I think there has been a lot of movement in that arena but if you look across media so should I do an overview of each trope yeah please yeah that'd be great um so the noble savage trope briefly is about someone who is typically white going to a place which is foreign to them and encountering the indigenous people of that place and seeing them as uncivilized in the way they live, but seeing them as potentially noble, owing to things like their connectedness with nature, their removal from material possessions. But ultimately, that will lead to this person let's call them a colonizer, trying to save the noble savage from the savagery. And that's where the white savior trope might come in. And that's not always set in a, someone going to a foreign land, but it typically is. So the white savior is someone who is typically white or has proximity to whiteness entering spaces of people who are not white and saving them through some inexplicable skill, either from themselves or from some other white person who is actually a bad white person, if that makes sense. They're quite complicated tropes. Um, but they're both underpinned by a colonial mentality and arguably they're there to almost redeem whiteness because of the history of slavery and colonization. So it's almost like revisionist history. It's saying white people went to these places and we appreciate the beauty of these noble savages, but nevertheless, they are savages and therefore we must civilize them. And it is the bad white people who did the bad things, but it still reinforces this notion of racially marginalized groups as inferior and in need of saving. Yeah, and I guess, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? Is the fact that you is it's been able to see it on on so many different levels, um, and and like I said, it just comes back to that where we started in lots of ways. It's about the conversation. It's about uh, explore exploration. It's about um, being able to set the scene and paint the picture of of what was and what is, and then the discussion of and what do we think. And I guess it's only from there that, like you say, that people then and children especially as they start to grow up they have an understanding of, of what happened and what is and what their perceptions are that kind of idea of being biased without even knowing what's going on because 
from such a young age you hear so many things and like I say you live in a culture whichever your culture happens to be which is inherent to everything that you've known since you've been born and as you grow up. Yeah absolutely and I think literature is a good place to start with raising that awareness because it contextualizes things. I mean even there explaining the tropes without naming any texts or any particular things is quite difficult but I thought I'll be careful because (laughs) (laughs) this is going out to the masses Um, but yeah it does definitely help ground those ideas which are actually quite abstract especially for children especially because that history feels so far removed for them I mean, yesterday seems far removed for some children. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that, I mean, that's something that's come up a lot recently as well, is that, you know, you talk about homeschooling, it's been a few weeks or a few months, but, a, you know, a child who's only, a, you know, a few years old, that's a very large proportion of their life. <laughs> and it's the, yeah. it is, this is a slight sort of side, a side thought here, but it's a little bit like, um, I remember our children, two of them are um, a very late summer birthdays. And so they're very young in their year. And they'd always talk about how well they were doing. And in their summer term, they seem to really get it. It's like, well, they're just now the age nearly yeah. that the children were in September. It, that that doesn't seem um, um, undifficult to understand when they're only five. You know, that's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that's like a fifth of their life different. You know? Yeah, so, uh, absolutely. You know, and again, that comes from, you know, perceptions and understanding and, and all the rest of it. So, um. So just before we finish up, is there kind of an, an overall takeaway that you would like people to have understood having read the article or, or in this particular kind of discussion? I think the most important thing is the application of critical literacy. And that's not just to do with issues relating to race, but that's our focus here because we need to remember and help children understand that everything is created with a purpose and that ideology is always present whether we know it or not and those things can change meaning and they can have actually really material lasting effects on people who are mostly from marginalized groups and that's why it's important you know, some people might argue, oh, it's just a story, but especially for children, their interactions with literature can really shape their view of the world and how they choose to treat other people and the political decisions they make. And I think for me, um, one of the one of the big takeaways I've, I've had in, in since I've started podcasting, which I think now is the end of uh, 2016 so it's, it's quite a while is is one of the things we've covered just slightly earlier was the fact that it would be fantastic in so many areas of education to have whole scale policy change you know whether it's getting rid of testing whether it's a completely different way of learning whatever it happens to be um and there are probably a few thousand podcasts for each of those that we can cover um but what i get um really enthused about especially with these types of conversations is the fact that you know people like yourself who have that direct conversation with children on a regular basis are changing and supporting them as best we can because of the conversations that we're having but more importantly that you're then having through them in terms of 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 your education in terms of what it is that you believe is important and I think the more we can share that through whatever medium in this particular scenario through the article and, and, and through us chatting 
hopefully there'll be more people that start to hear that and understand it and just remember that every conversation you have and every thought you have and every bit of awareness that you have which shapes how you want education to be that you can make a difference of today and there is certain things that you can then then at least that's a, a small positive step in the right direction thank you i think that's easy to lose sight of when you're trying to manage all the things you're trying to manage in a classroom but i think you're absolutely right it's those little things that can have a big impact in the long term yeah brilliant thank you well Sophia, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and, and understanding today. If you actually want to find out more about Primary First, if you haven't come across it through Nate before, you can actually get a free e-copy of, uh, of a past journal. If you go to nape.org.uk forward slash journal, you can just put your email in there and we'll send you a past copy. And then there's lots of extra goodies that come after that as well. So that's a good thing to do. If you haven't had a first exposure or, or an experience of uh, our journal so far, that's a good way to dip your toe in from there so yeah again Serafina thank you so much indeed for being here and uh, willingness to be involved in the primary first and, and, and how it's affecting so many people thank you for having me